Good morning, church. So good to be with you. Uh, my favorite part in visiting churches is not necessarily being able to preach, it's being able to worship with brothers and sisters I don't get to see every week. What a blessing that in this very moment that your sister church faith is worshiping, that our brother sister churches in this region are worshiping, and around the world are coming together, exalting the same king that we worshiped this morning, Jesus. What a gift that is. Uh, so just want to extend a big thank you to Pastor Scott uh, and the pastors and leaders here for inviting me. We're just so joyful to be with you this morning. Uh, and just in light of um, a little bit about myself, uh, so I've been married for five years to my beautiful, wonderful wife, Bree, right over there, Brianna. Um, born in Connecticut, grew up in Fall River. My parents uh, uh, got saved when they came to the States. They're from Haiti. My dad got saved listening to a sermon on the radio driving to work. Um, and so we grew up in the church, uh, grew up going to a Haitian church up in Brockton, um, and then later years started going to an English-speaking church because the Creole wasn't clicking as best as it, as it could have been. Um, but got baptized at 11, 12, really kind of saw the Lord, my need for him, my need for Jesus, and wanted to give my life for him, and just saw him work in me progressively throughout high school. And to be in later in high school, late high school, that I would really feel a sense and a call towards ministry. Uh, and so God would put that in me, but I would still go to college for mechanical engineering, so my bachelor's is in engineering, it's my background, but all throughout those years got to, uh, to minister, did youth and children's ministry uh, and the church that I grew up in, and was really blessed, uh, as uh, Scott, Pastor Scott mentioned, uh, to spend some time in Cranston uh, doing an internship, was a pastoral assistant there for a number of years, uh, just really blessed to be able to work in the ministry in a different kind of context. And then a couple years ago, I got connected to uh, Pastor John Ames, uh, right down the street from you guys at Faith Community Church, right on Stanwood down Broad. Uh, and we just connected and really shared a heart uh, for the kind of ministry they were doing, trying to uh, uh, plant neighborhood churches in under-resourced areas. And so we really connected over that and really sought the Lord as to what it might look like for us to come together. Uh, would it look like church planting? Would it look like... Uh, um, uh, what kind of leadership would it look like? And so as we prayed, as we took time to bring it to our elders, uh, we, we joyfully said, okay, we will send John out and then in two years uh, transition. So I would take leadership at Faith Community Church. And so we're in the middle of that transition. Um, and so I would just invite you to pray for us as we are walking through that and just pray for us as we are looking to continue to plant churches in under-resourced areas. These are the kinds of places that you don't see planters go. And so, by God's grace, we're so thankful that John has a heart for it and that God is raising up people uh, for a heart for that. And so, I just in, we just want to invite you to join us in praying for that, that people would be willing to go to hard places to preach the gospel, to see God work wonderfully. So, I would invite you to do that. Uh, but I want to get to the word with you this morning, so we're going to spend some time uh, preaching, uh, working through, walking through Acts chapter 14. Uh, but before we do that, if you want to turn your Bibles, uh, or if they put it on the screen, it'll be Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. But before we do that, as I meditated on this text, as I was thinking about this text, a question kind of came to me. What do we do when we hit speed bumps in life? What is our response? When things are, are looking well for a moment, you think you're doing everything right, and then opposition comes. Instead of success, you meet failure. What is your response in those moments? 
I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, these names, uh, but William and Orville Wright. If they are familiar to you, it's not a surprise because their ingenuity and inventive efforts led to the very the changes to the way we do life to the way we travel. They played a major part in this globalized world because they made it possible to fly with the creation of the engine-powered plane. But if you are familiar with their story, you realize that this did not come easy. They faced plenty of opposition, failure after failure. They would deal with all kinds of issues and design. How do you create a glider that can be controlled easily but can sustain lift and keep you in the air? How do you fit an engine in a plane? All kinds of issues and problems that they would have to work through, but they kept at it, right? Even after their first flight ends with a crash, they get back up, and they keep on going. They would see success at one point when they were able to repair and modify a plane that would fly a sustained solid 12 seconds in the air. And this is phenomenal, right? Because we think that's silly because we can fly hours at a time today. But in 1969, when Neil Armstrong steps on the moon, the very first person to ever do it, right in his space pocket, he has a piece of wood from that plane years and years ago. That's how pivotal their work was. It was hard, but it was worth it because they had something that could change the world. So what do you do if you're Paul and Barnabas and you have something much greater than flight? You have something that will bring cosmic change to the world. But it feels like at every single turn, there's opposition. Every time you make progress, there's something to stop the incredible momentum what is your response when the call to be faithful to your mission gets hard? Paul and Barnabas will show us that when things get hard, when people get in the way, when Satan comes and tempts to cause us to fail, they show us that we must still be faithful to the call to preach the gospel, even when it gets hard. So we're going to read Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of the Lord. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. And so if you're a little bit unfamiliar with the book of Acts, it's kind of if you were to summarize, it's the spirit-empowered church or the story of how God's spirit builds the church through the apostles and through believers. And so when we get to Acts chapter 14, just to kind of give you a little more context, you have these two guys, Paul and Barnabas. One chapter before, they are sent out by a church, the church in Antioch. It's like your first Gentile church. If you look at its leadership and the makeup of this church, it's the first church 
where you just see Gentiles everywhere coming to the Lord, coming together, celebrating Jesus. And so this church, through the Spirit, sets aside Paul and Barnabas. They recognize through the Spirit that, no, there's more work to be done, and so they send them out. And so when we get to chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas have already traveled to several cities, to other cities, to preach the gospel. And so by the time we get to Iconium, where we are right in 14, we've come to see some familiar things. The gospel is preached, people respond, some are saved, and often people, often Jewish leaders, oppose the work of the gospel. And so chapter 14 presents to us a sort of snapshot into the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. We see that the gospel, it brings life, but that the gospel also divides. That the gospel comes with power, but some are blind to this power. And that the gospel brings heavenly joy, but also fosters jealousy. And so time and time again, Paul and Barnabas see both fruit and opposition, and they will learn that the call to remain faithful is still there. And so we come to verses 1 and 2, and we find that it's a new city, but same story. We read in verse 1 that they get to Iconium, and together they go into the Jewish synagogue. And as you follow the ministry of Paul and Barnabas, you'll find that they do this again and again and again, that in every city with a Jewish presence, they will immediately find themselves in their places of gathering. New city, same story. And we can see the value of them doing this. There is a sort of strategy to it. Jewish synagogues were natural places of gathering. People would get get together. They're like a cafe. And, And people were coming specifically to hear the word of God. There was a connection point, a place that Paul and Barnabas could use to segue, to bridge the gospel. Because the same scriptures that the Jewish people were using, were reading and studying, were the same that Paul and Barnabas preached. It made sense to then bring the gospel, to preach the gospel where it would most connect and where there was a commonality found, where God could be seen to be working most clearly. And so Paul and Barnabas come, and we see the wisdom here, and it should cause us, I think, to thoughtfully consider how we might bring the gospel to our city as we look at Paul and Barnabas' example. I think it begins with asking and praying to God and asking him, where are places, where are spaces, who are people that, God, you have already begun to work in? Have you, God, placed believers in places or opened doors of opportunity for us that we might be able to walk into and preach the gospel? And notice, Paul and Barnabas don't come into the city, set up shop, call it a church, and pull out flyers and say, come and see. That is not what they do. They enter into the spaces of unbelievers and engage with them. It's important for us to understand that this building is beautiful and it's a blessing. But we have to realize that those who have not yet seen the beauty of Christ, the wonders of the gospel, who need to be reached, are not itching and waiting in line on Sunday morning to come and see. By God's grace, he can and he will send people like that. And they will walk through our doors and we will see God work in them wonderfully, but We can also see through Paul and Barnabas' ministry the importance of being willing to enter into 
their spaces, finding bridges, connecting points, and bringing the gospel to them. And when I say we are supposed to do this, I really do mean each of us. Not just your pastors, not just your leaders, but as you are equipped for this work, you go out. You enter into these spaces, spirit-led, spirit-empowered, and see God use your presence, your speech, your ethic, your life to bring the gospel, to bear the realities of the gospel to the lives of the people around you. This is hard work, this is long work, but faithfulness towards it will bear fruit. Wisdom is needed, and as we're led by the Spirit, we can see the gospel begin to make its ways into families and to men and women and young, uh, young people in our community. But church, as we also read this, we understand that this was not simply about strategy, what we're seeing in Acts chapter 14. Both Paul and Barnabas would have understood that God was calling them to, yes, go into these spaces, but to also simply preach the gospel, we read in Romans, to the Jew first, then to the Greek. And this is not a sort of unfair treatment God is displaying. It's, it's really about a God who is faithful. That if you're familiar with the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament, you learn that they were God's covenant people, the people he had made relationship with, who he he'd called his children. But you also learn that his children were constantly and continually rebellious and sinful, always wanting to do things their own way, always wanting to run away and walk away from the Lord. But despite that, despite the fact that they had sinned again and again towards the Lord, he still calls out for them. He still says, come, hear me, be found in me. Paul would especially feel this burden. You, you can read about this in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the, for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from the race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul knew all that his people had, and he so badly wanted them to understand Jesus because of it. And so, yes, there is an intentionality as we enter into spaces and as Paul and Barnabas go into the Jewish synagogues. But in many ways, it was done out of a heart to see these people saved, to see these people confess Jesus. It's amazing to see the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness in the heart of Paul towards the Israelite people. And I just think as we read this, would we have that same burden for our neighbors? Do you share that burden for your family, for your coworkers, for your classmates? Do we want them so badly like Paul that we would be willing to give up everything to just see one of them saved? And so as we continue in the text, Paul and Barnabas, we read, preach. 
But they preach in such a way, the text says, that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And so empowered by the Holy Spirit, emboldened by him, Paul and Barnabas see the proclamation of the gospel do transformational work in both Jews and Greeks. So new city, but same story. The gospel really does work. It really has the power to save. And I hope that when we read this, that it is not a discouragement for us because we look around and we feel as if this isn't happening around us. And I also feel it's not a sort of dismissive thing because we go, well, this is just for the early church. It was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. I hope that you read this and you're encouraged because the gospel really does change lives. So keep speaking its truths to those around you, to your kids, to your friends, to your family. The gospel really does come with power, and we'll see that as we keep walking through the text. But in the midst of this excitement, as we're reading of people coming to know Jesus, conversions are happening everywhere, baptisms, we get to verse 2, and we read that the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. New city, same story. Paul and Barnabas, they preach the gospel. They see people saved, and opposition comes right after them. The unbelieving Jews stir up the crowds. They get to the Gentiles. They poison their minds, tainting them, making Paul and Barnabas the problem and the enemy. And though churches is expected, I do think it's pretty incredible to think about that the Jews, God's covenant people, meant to display his distinctness to the world, would now be slandering these brothers. That the Jews, given the Ten Commandments, this call to love God, and out of that love for God to love people, would do what we're seeing again and again and again, seeking to destroy Paul and Barnabas. And I think this is sobering because I think this can be us. I think that though we are instilled with the truth of who God is and the love of Christ, that though we are called to bring this out into the world, I think the temptation towards this is real. That as maybe someone grows an influence in the church, someone's gifts or presence is verbally appreciated, I think at times when people receive those things, a sort of jealousy can rise up in our own hearts, a bitterness towards that person or those people. And so we can begin to complain a little bit about them, begin to exaggerate their weaknesses. The temptation to love position more than God is very real. To love the praise of man more than the affirmation given to you through Jesus. And so we have to guard our hearts. We have to walk in love for one another, meaning we have to rejoice when the Lord allows someone in our body to see fruit in their life, whether in their gifting or in their ministry. We should be the first ones to celebrate one another as God uses us for his glory, not for our own. But this was not the response of the unbelieving Jews. But I think what's more significant than their response is Paul and Barnabas' response. Because the question is, when opposition comes, how, what will they do? Will they leave 
abandon the ministry? Will they give up? And we see that the answer is no. They know that even when it gets hard, that the call to preach the gospel still remains. And even when opposition comes, they are called to be faithful in the midst of it. And so when you get to verse 3 and 4, this is exactly what Paul and Barnabas do. We read that they continue to preach the gospel, but once again, they and we see that the gospel is a message that divides. And so they see the first sign of trouble, and Paul and Barnabas don't quit. Instead, we read that they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So opposition comes, they remain, because the call has not changed. The mission is still, even in the face of opposition, to bring the gospel to the world. And, and we understand this in different ways. At the first time, sign of trouble at your job, you don't just quit. You don't stop raising your kids the first time they give a tantrum. <laughs> gospel work is hard work, but it's God's work. So the call remains. We are to keep at it, to keep being faithful. And I think Luke is giving us a testimony of faithfulness through the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. Because what the Bible teaches us here and all throughout Scripture is that Christian success will not and is not determined by how many people are saved at the end of your life through your ministry or how little opposition you face because you are faithful to God. Your success is determined by your faithfulness to his call to keep going at it. And we can see that God honored Paul and Barnabas' faithfulness in the text. The message they preached came with power. God worked through the gospel, the preaching of it, in signs and wonders. And this is a callback to the ministry of Jesus, if you remember, that Jesus would go from city to city preaching the kingdom of God, healing the sick, bringing the message in word and power everywhere he went. The miracles, signs, wonders, confirming the message of the gospel. And the greatness of this text is that we see that God was not only going to work through his son Jesus. We see right here that God would bore witness to the word of his grace through Paul and Barnabas' faithfulness. That he granted signs and wonders in their ministry. Church, it is God's message and so I think we should up our expectations about what he's going to do when we proclaim it. Why do we expect it to be about how much we can convince, what we can say, if we can just get the words right? Why do we put so much expectation on ourselves when we should be saying, God, you do the work? We should rely on him to show up and display his power when we are faithful to his mission because the word does not come back void. Those seeds will sprout. When we preach the word of his grace, we can be sure that God will bring the power. But this requires us to walk in step of the spirit, to trust in the Lord, and asking God, just like the apostles did, to empower us, to help us, to strengthen us, so that we can be faithful to bring the message with his power. But, so we read that they preach the gospel 
and the power of God accompanies it. But then we get to but. We read, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Have you ever had someone in your life that now how, no matter how good your idea was, how flawless your plan, they always come up with a yeah, but. Maybe we could arrange the room this way. Yeah, but. I think the recipe calls for this many eggs. Yeah, but. Oh, I've got a great scheme for a game plan. Yeah, but. It's discouraging. And, and church, you can imagine what Paul and Barnabas are feeling. They come into the city and see people saved, but. They preach it in word and power, but. In verses three and four, we see what we've been seeing from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The gospel is a message that divides. The nature of the gospel is that it requires a response from its listeners. So naturally, it divides people into those who hear and receive its truth, its call to life, and those who reject it. This makes the gospel a controversial message because it comes up against existing power structures. It comes up against ways of thinking and living life. The gospel challenges our beliefs about what this life is about, about how we are called to live it. The gospel is beautiful, but in a broken world like this, its message is repulsive. The gospel will turn enemies into family and family into enemies. And this can be hard. I was uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was at a fire and I got to meet a fresh newborn believer. She had just been saved about a month ago. And it was just amazing to see the light in her eyes, the, the wonder and the joy of finding Jesus. But her sister was also there, her older sister. And if you talk to her older sister, what you find out is that she has been having a really hard time at home because of her younger sister and because of her parents who are all extremely antagonistic against the gospel. And so for years, she felt so alone in her own home. She'll tell you she felt like she had lost her best friend and her sister because when she became a believer several years ago, all of them became enemies to her. And so when her sister comes to faith, she told us, it was like I had found my best friend again. I mean, that's, that's the power of the gospel. And I'm sure in this room that there are hurt relationships, friendships broken over the reality of the gospel. But I want to encourage you, don't give up. I want to call you to, to pray, to love your mom, to love your dad, your brother, your sister, your, your friend, to love them, to cry out on their behalf because God is still working. God is still doing something. The Bible does not hide the division the gospel message brings. Yes, we see in Paul and Barnabas' ministry that some were saved, but others were not. Others sided with the unbelieving Jews. And I think, unfortunately, Christianity can sometimes appear to be some sort of political party or organization that's looking for power and influence in a community. That it's about choosing a side. But I want you to understand that Christianity is not about choosing a side. It's not about choosing Christianity or agnosticism or atheism. It's not about choosing Christianity or being Democrat or Republican. 
It's not about choosing Christianity or a particular movement. Christianity is about having a relationship with the God who made you. The God who sees you in your brokenness. And instead of walking away, he says, no, come. Come to me. Instead of rejecting you, he says, no, I actually sent my son to die for you. So that you could experience real everlasting life. So the message of the gospel divides. We see this opposition escalate as we get to verses five to seven. We read, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. And so gospel opposition is no longer occurring at an intellectual level or a spirited debate. It's escalated and turned violent. The people now opposed are looking to take action, physical action towards Paul and Barnabas. So again, the question is, what do they do? They've faced opposition already early in the ministry here in Iconium. Do they stick through it? Will they do the same thing? No. We read that the scriptures say that they put on their crocs, they put them in sport mode, and they ran away. <laughs> right? Paul and Barnabas were bold, but not, not dumb. They understood when it was time to stand and proclaim the wonders of the gospel and when it was wise to remove themselves from a potentially contentious and life-threatening situation. Now, uh, keep in mind, Paul and Barnabas are willing to die for the sake of the gospel. Paul will die for the sake of the gospel. So it's not that they're unwilling to give everything to Jesus, but they're also not running towards martyrdom. They realized in that moment that for the sake of the gospel, they would be better off leaving, living, and continuing to proclaim. And I say that because I think there can be a desire sometimes in us to die in hills that we have no business being on. Now, hear me, there are times that we cannot turn away from the culture or, or, or from our communities, that we have to hold on to a pure gospel. We must always follow Jesus, but that does not mean fighting every single battle there is. We trust a God who is sovereign over all circumstances. And since it's his message, I think we can trust on him when the spaces we are in become unfriendly, when culture and society rejects us. We can trust that God's got it all under control, that he will open the right doors for us. And so when the moment came in which God closed the door, Paul and Barnabas, we read, flee. But notice in verse 7 that there they continued to preach the gospel. They face all kinds of opposition in Iconium. And it climaxes as people actually look to kill them, to bring violence to them. And so they run away. And what is the next response that we read? They preach. Because the call to be faithful in preaching the gospel has not ended. It got hard, but they're called to keep on going. And so despite the opposition, they continue the work. And so I just hope you're encouraged by this because God is calling us to do the same, to, to be faithful, not productive. To be faithful, not loved and adored. 
to be faithful to the mission. Not that those other things are important, but they're not the point. This can be tiring, thankless, oppositional work. It can be discouraging. At times, you will want to stop. Yet, I just want to remind you that there are those who have not heard the message of the gospel. This is why I think it's important that we are here together right now. Why it's important that we do life together. How hard do you think it would have been for Paul and Barnabas if they had been on their own? One of the things, I don't know if you notice this, but if you read Paul's letters, which you realize pretty quickly, is that he always had people with him. The great apostle Paul was never alone. He had men and women encouraging him, walking with him, doing ministry with him, and you need that too. It's hard to be faithful. It's hard to face rejection and opposition. We desperately need the encouragement of our brothers and sisters. We sharpen each other. We build each other up, and we provide for one another. So we do this mission not alone. We're not lone rangers, lone wolves. We are brothers and sisters locked in arms. Yes, getting on each other's nerves at times. Yes, failing one another at times. But loving each other walking faithfully with one another so that we can proclaim the gospel to the world. One of your jobs as a believer is to look left, look right, see your brother and sister, and go, I have to help them remain faithful. Paul and Barnabas are faithful to the call to preach the gospel, even when it gets hard. I, when I was thinking through this message, I thought of a kind of uh, cinematic masterpiece. You might be familiar with it, Finding Nemo. (laughs) And there's a moment in the movie, right, where Nemo's dad is just feeling down and discouraged. So Dory comes on over to him and says, hey, you know, you know what I say when life gets hard? When life gets you down? Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep walking. In many ways, the Christian life is just like that. But especially as we look to remain faithful, we need to continue. We have to keep going, keep swimming, continue to be faithful in raising our families, faithful to your job, faithful to your classes, faithful to all the arenas and areas that God has placed you and put you in. And we have to be faithful, continue to be faithful in preaching the gospel. Because when Jesus came and he faced opposition, he didn't waver. When the disciples left him in the garden, he didn't run from his mission. When soldiers whipped him and spit on him and mocked him, he didn't call an angel, an army of angels to destroy us. He could have. No. When it got hard, when Jesus cries out to God in anguish, he still remains faithful. He walks towards his death. He dies on the cross, lifted high. And three days later, he is raised to life so that you can know life. He gives up his life, remaining faithful to the mission, so that you can have new life in him. And so when it gets hard, look to Jesus. 
He has walked where you walked. And he invites you to take on his yoke because it is easy, it is light. He invites you to cast your burdens at his feet. And he says that I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will empower you. Through my spirit, you can remain faithful. And so the call remains. We are called to be faithful to preach the gospel, even when it gets hard. Let's pray. Father, we, we are so thankful for the, the book of Acts to get this snapshot, this picture of the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. We can have a real um, amazing outlook of what their lives and ministry must have looked like. But God, as we read this text, we can see how hard it must have been. What a roller coaster to have the, the joy and excitement of seeing ye, new young believers, but discouragement of opposition again and again. Those who not only want to mock you, but want to kill you. But we are thankful that you have given us this snapshot, God, because as we have seen Paul and Barnabas remain faithful, we can also remain faithful. That even when it gets hard for us in the areas of life that you have put us, even when we are discouraged because of broken relationships in our lives, or the trials that we were simply looking to work through, that you are with us, that you empower us, that you comfort us, that you do not abandon us, you do not leave us on an island, God. You have called us, and you do all the heavy lifting. All you ask of us is to remain faithful. Lord, would you help us today as your people to remain faithful even when it gets hard, because God, there are people out there who need the gospel, who have not yet heard it, who do not yet know it. Help us to reach them. Help us to be faithful. That's in your son's name we pray. Amen.